You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. On Halloween morning of 1980, a 39-year-old man who was residing for a brief period of time in Bristol, England, was found lying dead in a pool of his own blood on Brandon Hill. He had only been in Bristol for two months at the time of his death. As the investigation into the murder started, it was discovered that the murder was bloody, brutal, and incredibly savage. The man had been known to be quite the drinker, but he was not known to be the type to get involved in drama or fights while he was out at the bar. So, what happened in this case? How was the man murdered? Why was the man murdered? Who committed this heinous crime? Hello, and welcome to episode 52 of Gone But Never Forgotten, Gone Travelin', The Murder of Derek Grain. GBNF. We continue on this week with another case, this time from abroad, of Halloween murder. In this case, though, the man who was murdered would be found in the wee hours of Halloween morning rather than on Halloween night. Yes, and first and foremost, happy Halloween to anyone that's listening to us in real time. Today is the day. We hope that you and yours are out there and celebrating the spooky season in the best ways possible. Us true crime fans certainly are not cut from the same cloth as everyone else out there, so I'm sure that there are some outstanding costumes and some creepy celebrations going on. We did want to also mention a quick apologies to our goners out there for missing a week of the podcast again. It seems that we have come down with our own version of the plague here of late. First, as we mentioned a couple of episodes ago, Lance wound up in the hospital, and then, over the past week and a bit, Lance and I both got COVID. Yes, we did. As we speak, we're still on the mend, but let me be the first to stand up and just tell you that the people that say that COVID is fake, well, or that it's just the flu, either you were lucky when you got it, or you're full of shit. This was no joke. I don't care how political that is. We here at GBNF believe in getting your vaccines and doing what you can to prevent COVID for yourself and the spread to others. But I won't preach too much. For now, what do you say, Julie, we head to Bristol and take a visit to the United Kingdom? Sounds like a date to me. Derek Grain was a man that worked in the aerospace field as a contractor. 
That meant that at times he would move from job to job and company to company based on who needed his work and who had work available. He was from Hertfordshire, which, for those of you who don't know, is a county in southern England. Derek had only been in Bristol for just over two months at the time of his murder, and he was a man who had a very distinct look about him. He had light-colored hair, but he dyed his beard black, and it stood out in a crowd to anyone that saw him. People that knew Derek would say that he kept to himself a lot, and many would use the word loner to describe him and the way that he went about his life. That, however, does not mean that Derek was not liked by the people that did know him. He was described by everyone that knew him as upbeat, positive, cheerful, and people said that he was always kind to others. I feel like I say it a lot on the show, but he sounds like a really delightful guy. And quirky. It certainly isn't every day that you see someone with a dyed beard. People also said that much like a lot of people, Derek enjoyed drinking. Many would go on to say that perhaps Derek liked to drink too much or that he was a heavy drinker. However, one thing that seemed common across the board with people that knew him was that he was not the kind of person, drunk or sober, to seek out fights. However, in the wee hours of October 31st, 1980, he would become a victim. Because his line of work allowed him to have shift work, he went out on the town and hit the bars and clubs on October 30th, which was a Thursday. He was working in nearby Filton, but staying in Bristol at the Unicorn Hotel. Derek's footsteps prior to his attack and murder were actually pretty easy to follow for police because of that very unique look that we talked about. He went to two nightclubs on the night in question. First was Vicky's, and then he went to Curves. Both of those clubs were on Park Street in Bristol, and he would leave Curves around 2 a.m., and it was presumed by everyone that saw him that night that he left the club to return to the hotel where he was staying. However, for some reason he walked in the opposite direction of the Unicorn Hotel and walked down Brandon Hill Lane. This was confusing after the fact because the way that he was walking did not lead to his hotel, and many believed that because of the landscape and large hill that he was walking up, he should have known that he was going the wrong way, whether drunk or sober. Unfortunately, as we're about to find out, there is not a lot that is known about Derek's steps after he left Curbs. Everything was pieced together after the fact. Susan Isaac, who was a nurse, was walking through Brandon Hill Park in the wee hours of the morning on her way to work at St. Mary's Hospital when she found a man lying down in a pool of blood in the darkness of the park. She would quickly start to try to check on the man, but as she checked for a pulse, she realized that he did not have one. It also became very clear to her very quickly that he had been dead for quite some time already. Susan went for help, and very quickly there were police and paramedics on the scene. As the crime scene was analyzed, it became very clear to officers that Derek's death had been very brutal and incredibly savage. The murder weapon would be determined to be lying very close on the ground to Derek. Strangely, it was a traffic cone that was filled with sand. 
He had been beaten very severely with the traffic cone in the head. The traffic cone was heavily bloodstained. Derek's wallet was strewn across the ground, bank and credit cards everywhere, and his jacket had been torn off of him. This had been done so brutally that the inside liner from the pocket had been ripped. There was no cash at all found on Derek's person. As police would start to investigate the murder, that fact would become more and more curious because they were able to find out that at the bars earlier in the night, Derek had been lavishly paying for his beers and tipping with cash, not afraid to flaunt the amount of money that he had, and he had been drinking very heavily. It was believed that he had at least 70 to 80 pounds worth of cash in his wallet near the end of the night, which nowadays would be about $120 Canadian. But back in 1980, that would be about $420 Canadian when you take in inflation. That is a lot of money to be carrying on your person while clearly headed the wrong way in a dark place at night. It was quickly determined then by the nature of the crime and the nature of the attack that Derek's death was most certainly a case of robbery gone wrong. The main theory of detectives would center around the fact that his attackers had likely seen him showing and spending carelessly and then they decided to follow Derek to attempt to rob him. The robbery gone wrong was certainly interesting, though, because things looked very passionate. Police believed that Derek had been kicked in the head multiple times while he was already lying on the ground dying from the original blows that came from the traffic cone. It's also interesting to me that they determined that this was robbery when bank cards and credit cards were left strewn across the area. You would think that perhaps those things would be taken, too. We do need to remember, though, that these were not the days of tap with your cards where you could spend a decent amount of money without having PIN numbers, signatures, or whatever you needed. Cash was likely what the attackers were after if this was indeed a motive of robbery. That makes sense. Detective Inspector Brian Theobald would speak with the Bristol Evening Post and say, quote, there is a possibility that more than one person was involved in this. I am having a second investigation of the scene and am pretty confident that the assailants were spattered with blood, at the very least. I am pretty satisfied that the motive was robbery. They used an awful lot of violence. It was a particularly vicious, brutal murder." Unquote. There would be some interesting leads that would come to light. One in particular came from an anonymous caller to police. He would tell them that he had seen a mysterious red jaguar nearby where the body had been found. He would also say that he had seen three or four men attack someone near Clifton Triangle, which was also nearby where the body was found. He had seen this around 3 a.m. on the morning of Halloween. Other witnesses would also describe that same attack, but only the anonymous caller would mention the red jaguar to police. Police would actually track the jaguar down and investigate, and something curious would come to light. The jaguar was actually registered to Derek's hometown, Hitchin, which was 150 miles away. It was determined that the owner of the jaguar was not in the area at the time of Derek's murder, but there is certainly always the chance that the car could have been loaned out to someone for use. Because the car was registered where Derek was from, 
it has certainly led to confusion and intrigue over the years. Unfortunately, that eyewitness report and the traffic cone are the only evidence that was to be found in this case, despite 40 investigators having worked the case. There were not any fingerprints to be found, and there was so much blood at the scene of the crime that there was no way to determine whether the blood all belonged to Derek, some belonged to his attacker, or attackers, and which was which. As we've discussed many times on the show, this murder would take place before the vast advancements that we have seen in the areas of forensics and DNA. There was also not profiling being done back then, so there's not even an artist's rendition to go by in terms of what the murderers looked like or may have looked like. This was also before the era of closed-circuit TV and phones that we all know people will turn on crimes that can give some sort of evidence to investigators. Over the years, though, investigators have not given up on solving this case. They have analyzed the traffic cone, Derek's jacket, and more, hoping to find DNA or skin cells. But unfortunately, all has been for naught, and this case still remains very much open and very much unsolved. There are so many questions in this case. Why was Derek headed away from his hotel? Why did a robbery turn to murder and such a brutal one? Why did one call mention this Jaguar and does it have any ties to this case? And most importantly, why did a 39-year-old man have to lose his life on Halloween 1980 in such a cold and callous manner? Maybe someone out there is hearing this case and looking it up as we are in the Halloween season here in 2022. 42 years later, and you know something more about this case. Investigators have clearly tried since the crime to solve this case. If you know something that could perhaps cause a break in the death of Derek Grain, please call investigators and tell them what you know. Odds are that these people are, or were, violent criminals based on the scene that unfolded that morning. It appears to have been a crime of circumstance, likely for that money, and even the murder weapon itself seems to have been in the wrong place at the wrong time for Derek. And that is sadly all that we have on the brutal murder of Derek Grain. I echo those sentiments. If you know something, tell somebody. Let's transition out of the show here and jump back into that hashtag be better movement that we like to talk about. We sadly have not had any submissions from our listeners of late, so if you have a story of someone being better, please send it our way. However, I want Lance to share a really cool story that he heard this week. Okay. <laughs> this story nearly moved me to tears in front of my coworkers. actually. Our director at work told us this story. He knows of this young man who suffers from some serious intellectual disabilities, and he often would go to sporting events and different things with his father-in-law. Sadly, quite some time ago, though, his father-in-law passed away, and for all intents and purposes, it was very difficult for this man to go out and do the things that he loved, and because he did not know a lot of people, he didn't have the opportunity to go with other people to do the things that he loved very often either. Well... Recently, he decided at the end of the baseball season that he wanted to go to a Blue Jays game, 
and he decided that he was going to go all by himself. He put together a plan, very detailed, and he got on the train, ventured down to Toronto, and when he arrived, he asked people along the way how he could get to the next stop that was on his detailed itinerary. Along the way, so many people helped this man out, even though he was obviously impaired, and guess what? He made it to the baseball game. He also made it home, and my goodness, what a success story that really is. When I heard the story, I had some of my faith in humanity restored because it almost seems impossible in today's day and age in so many ways, but he did it. He got his itinerary approved by his social worker, and he got where he was going with the help of so many strangers along the way. That is such a cool story. And I have to admit, not to slight Toronto, but with all the hustle and bustle that goes on there, having lived there myself for so long, it's actually hard to believe that this happened. So good for this man and good for those people. This is the way that all of us should be every day and with every person that we come into contact with. Everybody is suffering and everybody is trying. It doesn't matter what race, sex, religion, or anything you are. We've said it before on the show, each and every one of us is a human being. And we should always be on the lookout for ways that we can work and help out our fellow human. Amen to that. Like Julie said, if you have a short story that you have or that you have heard and would like to have us share on the show, please reach out on social media or email us at gbnfpod at gmail.com and tell us your story. We'll give you a shout out, and if we can share the story on the show, we certainly will. And in closing, don't forget that we're going to have a video of our personal response to the case over on Patreon, and that will go live as the show drops. If you are one of our patrons on any tier, you can watch us and hear what we have to say about Derek Grain. Then, join us there or on any social media and tell us what you think of this savage murder in the UK on Halloween of 1980. Until next time, thank you for listening, thank you for being a goner, be better, and join us next week on Gone But Never Forgotten.